You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, BLG? I'm doing good, Stats. Had a really good Monday night. I'm feeling great. Uh, you might think I'm joking or being sarcastic because the Eagles lost to the Cowboys, and I obviously didn't love that. But uh, I'm actually doing better than you expect because Bleeding Green Nation had a watch party last night. Shout out to Bistola's Del Sur in South Philly. And uh, watching the Eagles lose with a bunch of friends who you haven't seen in like over two years because there was a pandemic or still is a pandemic uh, actually made things less worse for me. But uh, we have a review here, stats that I feel like I should read because it kind of ties into our guest and what and, and the theme of what's going on. And this comes from Bethlehem seventy four, an Apple Podcast five stars. Obviously, leave a rating and review for the Espionation NFL Show title. Love the Oddcast. Review goes, lots of great shows here on the SB Nation NFL show. The Oddcast definitely being my favorite. Love stats and BLG. I'm an Eagles fan in parentheses. However, BLG, please don't lose any more bets. Although hilarious listening to your rendition of I Left My Heart in San Francisco was as cringeworthy as the Office episode Scott's Tots. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Scott's Tots, that was pretty cringeworthy. Uh, anytime you want to sing, BLG, I am all about it. We're going to get into Monday Night Football and what happened between the Cowboys and the Eagles. We're going to get into the only 100% accurate power rankings in the whole NFL podcast universe. Let me introduce our guest, RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. Worlds are colliding for me. I host a show on Thursday called The Look Ahead on this channel with RJ. And now I've got two hosts here. I feel like Michael Scott and Casino Night, if we're going to stick with the office theme, when he had two ladies present and was trying to keep them apart. RJ, I know you're in a good mood this morning. Hey, guys. Great to be with you. Uh, the office set in Scranton, Pennsylvania, a bunch of losers that also rooted for the Philadelphia Eagles. And BLG, I would like to, cor- uh, to correct you. The Eagles did not lose to the Cowboys. The Eagles got train wrecked by the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, a complete, total, absolute beatdown. Cowboys put the Eagles in their rightful place in the cellar of the NFL. In fact, stats, you mentioned that you and I are the co-hosts of The Look Ahead. Uh, shout out to The Look Ahead for back-to-back curb stompings of the Philadelphia Eagles, which is what you and I have done here. <laughs> I mean, It's a great day to be alive, guys. Seriously. I mean, just the, the hills are alive with the sound of music. I have coffee and caffeine running through my veins. Victory is everywhere. Uh, BLG, but you mentioned losing bets. So could you please describe how this is now a tradition for you on a weekly basis uh, in this particular NFL season? First of all, a six-point loss to the 49ers is a generous uh, – it's a de- generous kind of say that's a curb stomping. You're right. The 49ers uh, are not like, as good as the Cowboys. I agree with you. Good point. Okay, there we go. So, um, uh, yeah, so the bet that I lost, obviously, if you listen to the NFC mixtape, which is like, uh, you know, obligatory reference on any SB Nation NFL show that either RJ or myself appear on, um, I had to tweet out, and I quote, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Philadelphia Eagles. I am Brandon Lee Gowton, and I would just like to let at Blogging the Boys and at RJ Ochoa know that I am sorry. Then I had to tweet out a picture of the Blogging the Boys logo with that tweet, and I had to change my avatar to the Blogging the Boys uh, logo, which is a terrible logo. So I have to deal with that all week. But hey, look, I make a bet. Uh, it's not my fault the Eagles lost. It's kind of their fault. And uh, they should feel bad for me. And also, everyone should respect that I'm a man of my word and I live up to the bets that I make, which are very foolish. That's true. Very foolish indeed on your behalf. Uh, Stats, I promise you that I'm going to get much more enjoyment out of this bet than you got out of yours last week. Um, So, yeah, everybody, (laughs) BLG's on Twitter at Brandon Gowden's beautiful looking place right now. So this is my thought. Um, I, I, I'm trying to be, you know, fairly objective. The Eagles are not a bad team, but they're also like not 
one of the better teams in the NFL. So are you like, how much better do you feel about the Cowboys because they beat, you know, an average to slightly above average NFL team, RJ? This is a great question. Stats, you as always are on fire. You look handsome and debonair if I haven't said. What is this? What do we need? We don't need to praise stats. The Eagles are not a good team. Let's just all, let's all say it, right? The Philadelphia Eagles are not a good football team. Um, however, no one thought they were. Division rivalries, Whatever, however much, you know, of a qualifier you want to add there. The reason this was a big win for the Cowboys is they had the big win last week against the Chargers. You can debate how Mike McCarthy handled the end of the game there. I certainly have an issue with how he handled the end of the first half on Monday night. (laughs) So Um, does Peyton Manning. Right, right. Uh, But this was an opportunity to make a statement. And at home, home debut against a division rival, uh, head coach that, I mean, if anybody wrote a check that they couldn't cash more so than BLG over the last two weeks, it was Nick Sirianni. Um, And so this was an opportunity to get above 500. In fact, boys, the Dallas Cowboys are above 500 for the first time since the week before Thanksgiving in 2019. So, I mean, this is this is getting beyond treading water for them. It was a huge announcement. You know, their schedule is softening up a little bit. They played the Bucks and Chargers after the Eagles. Obviously, they have the Panthers. They have the Giants. They have the Patriots before the bye. I mean, obviously, there's an optimistic world where they go five and one, four and two, I think, is the floor there. So this was generally a moment where the Cowboys have shrunk in the past, and particularly under Mike McCarthy. Granted, that sample size, especially with Dak Prescott, is small. So this was an opportunity to prove that you're a little bit different. And I think that's why Cowboys fans are really embracing it. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, what, so what, what can I say? I'm not upset. I'm not. I'm like, I'm really not upset. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm upset, I guess, from a standpoint of, you know, I thought week one could be a sign that I'm upset that I was right. To be honest, that's what I'm feeling. I'm upset that I was right about this team. Everyone gave me so much uh, for being like negative about this team in the offseason. They're like, oh, you're too negative. You stats said it. RJ, you said it. Both of you said I was too low on the Eagles heading into this season. I was like, no, things are not good here. And the vibes are feeling good in training camp. And I said, to be in fairness, about that though i said like i don't know what this means this doesn't necessarily mean anything and it meant it didn't mean anything it meant that they could beat a bad falcons team in week one great um but there are reasons to not feel great about this team heading into the season they were coming off a 2020 season in which they finished as the last team in the worst division in the nfl (laughs) and they got rid of their coach and their defensive coordinator like oh doug peterson's the problem oh jim schwartz is the problem I mean, Carson Wentz was part of the problem, but he's gone too, and they're still struggling. Like I said, the problem is not not the GM. You can't just assume like the GM is fine, Howie Roseman is fine. It's not actually his fault. Actually, this roster is really good. Like that, I that never held water with me. And like, what are you seeing out there? Like, who are the like to give credit to the Cowboys, RJ? Like, you have young players like making big plays, like CeeDee Lamb and Micah Parsons. Do you see that from the Eagles? Like, Quez Watkins had a nice catch. But, like, who are the young players on this team that are, like, really stepping up? They take Landon Dickerson in the second round. And in fairness, he didn't have a full offseason. He's coming off an ACL injury. But he's, like, sucks through two games. Um, they don't have guys that you feel good about moving forward. Their best play – Fletcher Cox had that, obviously, kind of weird recovery of that fumble in the end zone. But, I, but like, I think Javon Hargrave is the one, who like, who made sure. force, you know, the, the play on that. And Fletcher Cox has one sack and one quarterback – hit in his last seven games now and this is like your highest played player on the team like is he really making this a huge otherworldly difference so like it's not a great roster which was everyone's you know or at least a big complaint of mine heading into the season so like i sit here and i'm not like shocked i mean this is the team they are who we thought they were that is it comes down to that uh sound Sorry, I just want to add, you know, I was told, in fact, because I listened to the SB Nation NFL show that there was a young playmaker on this team that was going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year in Devontae Smith, who got owned. <laughs> Give by him a Trey quarterback. Give him a freaking quarterback. They mm. don't have a quarterback. Jalen Hurts is I like Jalen Hurts. Sorry to cut you off, RJ, but they don't have a quarterback. That is abundantly clear. And look, the Eagles knew they didn't have a quarterback. Why do you think they were so rumored to be connected to Deshaun Watson and still might be? Who knows? Like they don't have a quarterback, and that's it's a problem when you don't have a quarterback in a quarterback-driven league, then, like, what do you have? 
This is episode number 56 of the Off Day Debrief. <laughs> I will note that this is the first time I have ever heard Brandon Lee Gowton swear on the program. He certainly sounds like someone who's not upset about the Eagles' loss. I'll say that. I'm not upset about the loss. I'm upset about where the franchise is at and that, like, everyone in the – I'm not upset at the people who in the offseason are actually the Eagles are going to be better than people think. No, they're not. No, they weren't because they're not good and they don't have good management. That's what I'm frustrated at. The loss is like a product of what we should have seen coming. The loss uh, is obviously disappointing in a vacuum, but like I'm not upset so much like they lost this game. I thought they were going to win. I thought they were going to be a good team this year. No, like we knew the expectations were low and we allowed them to get a little bit higher because of that Falcons win. And you wanted to lie to yourself and you wanted to feel good about it and think maybe we were wrong. Maybe I was wrong. and I was too negative about this team, but that wasn't the case. I have a question for each of you, if I may. Um, and BLG, yours is first because you're our, you're the guest of honor in my life this week. Um, I'm the guest of my own show. <laughs> <laughs> so I maintain that it is somewhat interesting that Nick Sirianni stirred the pot a little bit with the shirt this past week in, in case somehow anybody missed it, the Beat Dallas shirt. But I also maintain that this is literally the worst way that this could have gone for him. And now he's made himself a meme. I mean, I've mentioned several times the highlighter thing. Stats is 100% in agreement with me, by the way. He's totally doing this just to go viral. He really wants the attention that the highlighter on the visor is is drawing. But, I mean, again, this was a big check, that a big risk that he took. And now he's he's the loser. That's that's what it is. And he like residually has made his team the loser because of what he did. And it was bold. And some I'm not saying you specifically, but maybe you applaud that. But I really think that now that's like a thing. And now I can promise you we will generate content from that the next time the Cowboys <laughs> and Eagles play. But that is a thing now that that he has done. And so I have doubts about his abilities to lead this team. Again, I have a problem with Mike McCarthy from this game to be very clear. But mm. man, I just I have. To use your beloved term, I have really bad vibes about Nick Sirianni. They didn't lose the game because he wore a T-shirt. I want to be clear about this. Like that, that is not why the Eagles lost. They lost because he didn't call a good game, and that was a big problem. I mean, they only ran the ball with Miles Sanders three times, which like isn't to say that like, I, I hate like oh they they didn't run the ball enough. What are you right. talking about? Like that's not the pro- That's not why the Eagles lost this game. Like they didn't need to run the ball more, and that would have magically fixed everything. Now that being said, you should not be ending a game where Miles Sanders only I think touched the ball like six times total and ran it like three times. Like that's a problem. Uh, but also like, what is the identity of this offense? Like, that's a question I had asked Doug Peterson last year. And he gave like this stumbling answer because because there wasn't one. And there's no identity to this offense right now. Like in week one, they come out, they do a great job of having Jalen Hurts, you know, throw a bunch of quick passes and they're making it easy for him. And they're getting the ball into the hands of guys who can run after the catch. Like, okay, it looks like they had some kind of identity there. Week two, they kind of flipped the script entirely against Stats' team and they're airing it out like all day long. Like in Jalen Hurts, after finishing with the lowest average intended air yards in week one, finished the highest in week two. It's like totally flipping the script on that and feels like, like just way too aggressive on the opposite end of the spectrum. And then they come out against the Cowboys and Nick Sirianni's game plan. And this is what I have a big problem with. We're criticizing Nick Sirianni, his game plan. I don't know if you've caught this RJ was like, he knew the Eagles needed to like get in a shootout with the Cowboys. That was his like thinking, no, what are you talking about? You don't have the firepower to match that. If anything, you should be trying to like slow the game down and run the ball a little bit more and try to control the clock and like shorten the game. You shouldn't be trying to get into a shootout with a team. You clearly cannot match like blow for blow with like, so I like the game plan was wrong. I don't know what this offense's identity is. It doesn't seem like they're fully leaning into Jalen Hurts, but even if they are, I mean, like there were, there were throws to be made last night that just weren't made by like, I feel like a good NFL quarterback easily makes those throws. So there's a lot of issues here. Uh, Nick Sirianni is a big one. Jalen Hurts is a big one. People are mad about the defense, obviously. I think the defense, you know, obviously wasn't great, but I don't think they're like, you know, the top issue, the head coach and the quarterback are. Stats, this isn't my question to you, but is the shirt a thing? Like, as, as an outsider looking in, is is it is it at least not a good thing? No, I think it's a great thing. I loved the shirt. Like, good for Nick Sirianni. It's it's Cowboys week. Like, mm. there's always going to be pressure to beat the Cowboys. The fact that he pumped. wore a T-shirt that said, we want to beat the Cowboys, like, I'm fine with it. Like, what's he supposed to go and kiss the – well, I guess he can't kiss the ring because the Cowboys haven't won one since 1995. But Got him. I'm, it's, I'm fine with the shirt. What's your okay. other question? 
Um, my question for you, Stats, as an independent person here, um, I know you guys are going to get to BLG's power rankings, and he is a man of honor, as evidenced by his fulfillment on bets in back-to-back weeks. Again, BLG, seriously, stop betting on the Eagles, man. You know, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what you and Pete Tweeney have going on this week. By the way, great news for the Eagles that now they get a pissed-off Chiefs team, you know, coming off this. But um, where do you view the Cowboys stats, you know, in the overall hierarchy of the NFL? Because, you know, corralling power rankings this week, again, I don't want to give love to any any others, but uh, ESPN, as an example, dropped the Cowboys this week from 13 to 14. That just feels, again, I mean, wow. I, maybe I'm biased, but that feels really weird to me. Yeah, I wouldn't see any reason why you think the Cowboys are suddenly worse. If anything, what I what I learned from Monday night is, like, Dak is there. He has made it back, man. Like, he is rolling. That's the biggest thing for the Cowboys is he goes – or they go as he goes, and he looks like he is suffering no ill effects from that ankle injury. I actually think he was kind of throwing his body around a little bit too much Dude, at times, real. especially in the red zone. Um, but when he's back and he's rolling, like I, I'm going to be honest, I forgot how good Dak Prescott was. He's really freaking good. And as long as he is and the Cowboys have their weapons there, they're going to be a legitimate threat in the NFC, I have to say. I love you, Stats. I love you too, RJ. Thank do, you very we much all, for the time. Do we all want to bag on Mike McCarthy before I leave? Because we didn't yet, and I sort of hinted he, at it. I'm not shocked. Are you BLG? This just in. Mike McCarthy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So this is like I've talked before about why this is such a big season for the Cowboys because I think this is like this is their window right now because uh, I don't know how the Cowboys are going to look like necessarily. Maybe they're fine without Kellen Moore. I think that's going to be a big deal. I think he's gonna definitely going to get hired this offseason. He probably should have been hired really? by now. I by think he's going to be gone. I would say. I mean, hey, <laughs> uh, they interviewed him last year, so yeah, um, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think this is a big window for them, and they have to hit this. And I think. Like, it's easy to kind of gloss over the McCarthy thing because of the result of the game. But, like, that's something that could rear its head in a more, you know, meaningful game when you're facing a higher quality opponent. Like, that's definitely something to – it's not like we're doomed. The season is definitely over. But it's, like, that's something you have to, like, file away and kind of, like, have in the back of your mind when you're going into, like, a a, a game against a better opponent. I 1,000% agree. In fact, uh, before the Trayvon Diggs pick six, because, again, Jalen Hurts threw it to Trayvon Diggs. Devontae Smith stumbled and fell because he's not that good. Um, you know, <laughs> That had nothing to do with the play, by the way. Like, uh, that was a they, pick no matter what Devontae Smith on did. The, on anyway. the, earlier in that drive, that brief drive that Trayvon Diggs ended, uh, Dallas Goddard had a nice game, and it was 20-7, to 7, and it was like, man, it sure would be nice to have three more points here if Mike McCarthy hadn't squandered that. And afterwards, he said that he was comfortable with the lead. Loser mentality. Loser mentality right there. I do not what? like that what? whatsoever. They were up 20 to 7. That's so dumb to me. And I will say. If you're playing the I, Chiefs there, like, you're not. Right. That's like a huge mistake. I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt at the end of the uh, game against the Chargers because they got into field goal range, and I kind of understood it. Again, it was a little bit wishy-washy. The excuse about the clock, I know, made the, the story worse. But this, I, I mean, this almost made the charge. I, like, this revoked the tiny little benefit of the doubt I gave him for the Chargers game because now the sample size is really large. Think about it, and I know you both know how passionate I feel about this, but the Cowboys tried that 60-yard field goal at the end of the first half against the Buccaneers and gave Tom Brady another possession that he did get the ball to the end zone on. They, you know, fumbled the end of the game against the Chargers. Now they have this at the end of the first half. I mean, Mike McCarthy's literally seen on the broadcast saying, I'm good, you know, when being asked about a timeout, and that's just like that's not good you're right blg like against a a good team which to be clear the philadelphia eagles are not um that can come back to burn you and so that is troubling when it comes to mike mccarthy and what's what's more bothersome is the like hubris he has you know i haven't had any today to be very clear but uh (laughs) but i mean the the fact that he's like oh yeah no we had a lead i was good again dude that can backfire on you so quickly rj we tried to tell you this we tried to tell you this That's, when I think he was you got hired. Some, some problems of your own with your head coach, and you know the we tried to making. tell you this on Hard Knocks when he looked like a complete buffoon. That was the, that was when the he worst looked level better. of analysis to use Hard Knocks as any justification. This is real. And here's the other thing: Greg Zerline missed another kick in this game. He's missed two extra points. And, like, that's the guy – again, BLG, to your point, like, those points make a difference. This was the first team the Cowboys blew out this season. Again, the Cowboys blew out the Eagles, just so everybody's aware. But, I mean, you know, those those points can add up. He has missed kicks in 9 of 19 games for the Dallas Cowboys. And he's missed extra points in 2 of 3 this year. Yeah, he made the game winner <laughs> against the Chargers. But, like, dude, 
that, like, you know, we, we all know that the NFL is not exactly a true and total meritocracy, but I mean, that is starting to really get worrisome. RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. Thank you very much for the time today, sir. 4121. Peace out. I wonder if RJ wants to mention one more time that the Cowboys won the game last night. But nonetheless, they did. Congratulations, Dallas Cowboys. You are number 11 in BLG's power rankings this week. We are going to get to the whole list. And I, Did it hurt you to put them at 11, just real quick? Well, it's kind of good for me because I found a way to keep them out of the top 10. Like, <laughs> I didn't give them that satisfaction. Like They probably should be in the top 10, but uh, it's not totally unfair if you look at the rankings. Um, I, I debated dropping the Chiefs out of the top 10, but I mean... It's still Patrick Mahomes. It's still the Chiefs, so I couldn't do it. All right, we're going to break all those down. Plus, we're going to give out our LVP and MVP points of the week when we come back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Back here on the off-day debrief. All right, BOG, as we always like to say, the only 100% accurate power rankings in the whole NFL podcast kingdom. By the way, if you want to check these out for yourself, you could always go to bleedinggreennation.com and see them every single week. Number one, a new number one for you. You've got the Cleveland Browns up two spots from number three. That is surprising. The Rams are at number two. They're up two spots. Tampa Bay is at number three. They are down two spots. The Arizona Cardinals are the fourth best team in the league. Buffalo Bills at number five. Vegas Raiders at number six. The Ravens go to number seven. The Packers of Green Bay off their win over San Francisco are at number eight. The Chargers are at number nine. And as you mentioned, the Kansas City Chiefs are at number 10. What put Cleveland over the top for you at number one? I mean, I'm a Rams hater, so I can't put them at number one, even though they have a strong case for number one. But I did have the Browns ahead of the Rams, my last power ranking. So if you look at the system here, uh, uh-huh. I, and also I think the Browns are a complete team. I mean, look, this is a team that like barely lost to the Chiefs in week one because of like a, a circumstance that I doesn't think necessarily reflects like terribly on them as a team as much as it was a special teams gaffe. Like I don't think it means like the Browns aren't legit because they lost to the Chiefs in Arrowhead in a close game. Um, I didn't drop them after that loss because I thought like they showed they belong and they hung around. And since then, I think they've looked pretty good. And it's not just that they've won, but it's how they've won stats. I think they have the horses on offense to get it done there. And then their defense was dominant this week. So I think they're good on both sides of the ball. Uh, I feel really good about the Browns. Cleveland, I mean, look, the thinking for me was, well, they got to be able to run the ball really well. Well, Nick Chubb only ran for 3.8 yards per carry. 
Fortunately for Cleveland, Kareem Hunt ran for 8.1. They got Odell Beckham Jr. back now. He looks like he's, you know, getting a little bit better of a connection with Baker Mayfield. You're right. Like, the Browns, I don't think, have any weaknesses. And I, I do ding them a little bit for taking their foot off the gas against Kansas City. But that does happen to a lot of teams. But good for Cleveland. You've stocked your – I mean, you, this is what you've been waiting for, right? This was what is supposed to happen when you do a rebuild and you have all this draft capital like the Browns have had. This is how it is supposed to turn out. I have no problem with the Browns at number one. The Rams at number two, I mean, I, I've i never been so upset about being right. I thought the Rams were going to be good. I've been saying to people that Matthew Stafford is really good and he's going to light it up with Sean McVay, and that is exactly what they are doing I'm surprised. I like you said. I think they could be number one, but if they're not number mm-hmm. one, they're definitely number two, and you've got to put them over Tampa Bay, obviously because of the game last week. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of flip one and two here, but I think it should be clear, or at least like I think there's a pretty strong case that the Browns are the best team in the AFC. Like, who would you definitely have over them? Maybe the Bills, but the Bills lost to the Steelers, so like, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna Oof. ding them for that. And, uh, you know, the Raiders are undefeated and I think they've, you know, they're off to a good start, but I think the Browns deserve more benefit of the doubt there. And then the Rams, I, yeah, I mean, I think they're clearly the top team in the NFC right now. The fact that they have Deshaun Jackson and they didn't even really need to use him until this week, <laughs> like, like that was a big bonus. And we'll see how he lasts because as someone who watched Deshaun Jackson for the past two years and he was only available for 10% of the Eagles total snaps because Deshaun Jackson gets hurt a lot. So you will see that, but it's not even like they need him. It's just really, it's like a bonus. See, that was the problem with the Eagles stats. Like the Eagles needed Deshaun Jackson to stay healthy. He was like one of their top weapons. The Rams, he's just like another tool in the toolbox for them. Um, So they have a lot going for them. Obviously, I don't like to admit it because I'm not a Sean McVay guy. And Sean McVay makes everything about him. That celebration after the missed field goal, you didn't even do anything. I hate (laughs) when coaches celebrate missed field goals. Like they did something. You didn't do anything. The kicker missed. Okay, great. What did you do? You're not even like the special team teams coordinator it's one thing if the special teams coordinator is getting fired up because that's his unit you're the head coach you're getting fired up about a missed field goal that again you had nothing to do with i mean if you want to you know dap up your players sure whatever great but like he's like you know running all over the field and he's like getting it's just whatever so sean mcveigh it's all about you i mean to their credit they're winning so he gets to do that but uh it doesn't mean i have to like it <laughs> I mean, what is he not supposed to be happy that about the field goal? He'd be happy, but like to tone it down a little bit, like act like you've been there before. Uh, oh, I hate that. A little bit. I don't like no. the act like you've been there before. Why do I have to? Act, why do I have to act like I've been here before? I'm here now, and you know what? It's fun, and I'm gonna be happy about it. Like, what do we all have to be robots? I don't like that. Act like you've been there before. I'm not saying he can't be happy, but like he's, he's they're like he's celebrating like they're winning the Super Bowl. It's like week three, <laughs> dude. Just calm down a little bit. Well, let's go to another NFC West team now because you have the Cardinals essentially as the third best team in the NFC, fourth best in the entire NFL. You know I'm not a Cliff Kingsbury fan. They have looked good so far this year. Like, you're buying into Arizona? I mean, I'm buying into Kyler. I mean, I think, you know, we have a guy here who is arguably the MVP or at least, again, very much in that conversation. And, uh, you know, they only beat the Jags, so not exactly the toughest task there. But uh, who would you definitely have above them? Are they not the best team in your NFC West right now? No, the Rams are better than the Cardinals. Well, I mean, sorry, second best in the – I forgot about the Rams. Really bad job by me. <laughs> Running on a couple hours of sleep. No excuses, even though I just made one. No, you were trying to get a dig in at my 49ers, and you messed it up. That's what you were trying – I know what you're trying to do. Oh, well, we'll get to your 49ers in a bit, Seth. Yeah, we will um, get yeah, to Yeah, I mean, I, do I – do I feel like the Cardinals are flawless? No, but I think they're trending in a good way. I think they're clearly better than we all expected, right? We can admit that much. I think expectations for the Cardinals were lower. We kind of wondered, like, what are they doing? Like, they're bringing in A.J. Green, and they're bringing in J.J. Watt. Like, I think, at least I'll speak for myself here, I thought they were kind of a little delusional about where they were. I didn't think they were, like, I think the Cardinals heading into the season thought they were really close, and I didn't think they were right there, and adding those players didn't necessarily make the most sense, but... Uh, early on, it looks like it did, and they're they're trending in a good way. And I think there's a chance they can win the NFC West. Obviously, the Rams should be favored, but I think they're in the mix. We're going to find out more about the Cardinals because they play the Rams and the 49ers and then the Cleveland Browns. So in three weeks, we're going to know a lot more about them. But I thought Kyler Murray had a, a, an interesting quote after this game. 
He said basically, you know, when the Cardinals miss that field goal and the Jags bring it back 109 yards, he said that's a game we lose a couple years ago. You know, like I really felt like at that point that the momentum in that game had flipped and you could kind of see like this is it. This is the Cardinals, the inexperienced team doing something dumb by attempting this the longest field goal in the history of the NFL at that time it would have been. And they get punished for it, right? The Jags, predictable outcome, it's short. There's too many offensive linemen on the field, and the Jags get the touchdown, and then they go on to win the game. Well, that didn't happen. The Cardinals rebounded, they refocused, and they did what they handled their business. They did what they should have done. And I, I thought Kyler was right when he said, hey, this is a game we don't win a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. I think they've evolved. But as you mentioned, the Cliff Kingsbury factor looms large here. It's it's one of those teams that's weird because we like have confidence maybe in the quarterback, but not as much the head coach, kind of like maybe the Cowboys, although I don't have as much confidence in their quarterback. But that's a different story. Stats, I want to get to your 49ers because, uh, I mean, you're frustrated about them, clearly. Uh, and apparently it's not Jimmy G's fault. If you listen to some people, I mean, he's been, he's not the problem at all, but, uh, I have a take about this game and the biggest missed call from NFL week three was the non-intentional grounding. And to your, this speaks to your Jimmy G point. Cause like if that play and the penultimate play of the first half of the game where Jimmy G is in the pocket, he's between the, the hashes. He's clearly again in the pocket. Um, he throws the ball into the dirt in a very way to me that is clear intentional grounding and would have, if I'm not mistaken, ended the first half because it would have been, you know, a 10 second runoff with the 49ers having less than 10 seconds left and the 49ers getting zero points in that spot. Like they wouldn't even been, you know, really in that game to the end with the Packers there. And I think Jimmy G has clearly made a lot of mistakes. I saw him miss a ton of throws in Philly and you're pretty frustrated. Well, first on that grounding call, here's what Terry McCauley said, NBC's rules expert. He said Garoppolo was hit about the time his hand started forward. If the no, hit occurs no, no, before no, no. the hand starts forward, there's no foul. If it's after the hand starts forward, then he has to get the ball in the vicinity of an eligible receiver. It's extremely close. Did. In real time, no doubt they ruled the hand moved forward. So that's it what they said. It was clearly grounding. It was clearly it's it's clearly grounding. And if that was like the last play of a game, like if that was the deciding play of the game or like this or let's say that was the end of the, you know, the game instead of the end of the first half. And that was like the f- second to final play. Like people would be talking about that a lot more. That didn't get enough attention to me. That is clearly grounding. I feel like Jimmy G almost like leaned into the hit to try to get the call, which I guess savvy move by him. But like that, like the you can kind of debate letter of the law, but like for all intents and purposes, that is grounding. Like that is exactly what he was trying to do there. He was trying to ground the ball into the dirt to avoid a sack. And I just don't think you should, I don't think you should bail out like the quarterback like that. You should reward the defense for making a good play, which is they did, but whatever. There were a couple of sketchy calls last week. There was that one. And I'm sorry, the call at the end of the lions Ravens game, Before the Mm. field goal, there's an incomplete pass that Lamar Jackson throws, essentially, I think, to just kill some time off the clock. There's like two seconds that go by when that play clock hits zero, and they don't throw a flag. And if they throw the flag there, the Ravens are backed up five yards, and there's no way Justin Tucker's making a 71-yard field goal. And I know the mechanics of the call, right? The clock hits zero. The ref turns. If the ball is being snapped, he lets it go. That's a dumb system. The NFL needs like a shot clock system where a yes. buzzer just goes off in the stadium. Like clearly we have the technology. We can do this. The idea that, no, we're going to let let it tick down, hit zero first, and then we're going to have time for the official to turn and look and then make a judgment. Like, no, the clock is the clock. What is the point of having a clock if you're going to add extra time after it's over? This isn't soccer. That's dumb. <laughs> and I'm sorry, the Lions got screwed. Every second matters in a game. You can't just like be like, oh, you know, we'll just, you know, decide like a second or two doesn't matter. Like, no, what are you talking about? It's if this is Madden, which it isn't, it's real life. But if this is Madden, that's a delay game. As soon as it hits zero, like that's a penalty. You know, like you don't get this extra second or two. And it and look, I've seen it before where like they kind of give like half a second maybe after the and at least that's like kind of close. This was like clearly like you said a second or like a clear one or two count after the fact. Like that is clearly a penalty. And it's it's so frustrating because it's like the refs like the refs call games in a way where it's not actually like by the rule, but how they want to. So going back to that (laughs) intentional grounding thing, it's like refs don't want to call intentional grounding like they don't like to call it for some reason. But like 
you have to it's the rule you can't just decide like i don't want to call this like no it's the game it's also like the same thing you'll see on hail mary's like like you know there often isn't pass interference on a hail mary because like they don't want to call it but like i mean if, if there's interference you have to call it like call the rules don't just like come up with your own interpretation of the game and make the calls that you want to make so yeah it's frustrating for the lions um it's a, it's a tough way to lose we saw the pass interference at the end of Chiefs Chargers because the Chargers, by the way, completely, completely mismanaged the end of that game. But the Chiefs throw up the Hail Mary. There was pass interference on the play. And Tony Romo on the broadcast said, oh, there's a ton of interference, but you almost can't call it. Yes, you can, Tony. Yes, you can. If people break the rules, they should be flagged, whether it's in the first second of the game, the last second of the game, preseason, week one, Super Bowl. It should not matter. And anytime the officials decide to keep the flag in their pocket, contrary to what people say, they are interfering or they are deciding the game. Like, officials don't just decide the game by the penalties they choose to call. They decide the game by the penalties they choose not to call. And I'm sorry, that should have been pass interference at the end of Chiefs Chargers. And But just because they don't like to call it, they put the flag in their pocket. So I don't totally agree with you, what you just said about uh, mismanaging the game. So first of all, I don't know if you saw this, and I don't think it was brought up on Monday Football Monday, but I did originally think, like, Brandon Staley, what are you doing? Why aren't you running the ball, at least, on first down to kind of run some clock at the end of the game where the Chargers instead throw a touchdown? Now, from what I saw, it was a designed run, or it was a called run, but Justin Herbert audibled out of it because he had a good look and he threw the touchdown. I mean, I can't kill Brandon Staley for that if the quarterback is audibling out of the play because he sees something favorable and then throws a touchdown because he saw a matchup that he liked. Like, I know that isn't necessarily, like, the perfect ideal situation, but, like, I can't kill the head coach for that. Um, also like Brandon Silly deserved to win that game. Like he coached aggressive. He went for it on fourth down. They went for two. Like they, like you, that's how you beat the chiefs. They had the formula to beat the chiefs. They went all out and they did it. And now obviously, um, they had some fortune in there too. I think you, you capitalize on all those turnovers and everything. I think the chiefs had some self-inflicted wounds and all that, but, uh, look, I was very high on the Chargers heading into the season. I had them winning the AFC West. And maybe I'm going to be wrong about that, but for different reasons, because the Raiders <laughs> are currently at the top of the division uh, at 3-0, and which, hey, credit to them. I think we probably need to take a little bit, at least, of an L on the Raiders stats because we crushed Gruden in the offseason. And I think there's, you know, John Gruden, the, the personnel guy, deserves to be crushed to some extent. Um, but... I mean, they're winning. They're 3-0, and and these are quality wins, in my opinion. I mean, you go out, you beat the Ravens in week one. Then you, I know, like, the Steelers are kind of falling apart, but you were in Pittsburgh for that game. You know, you're traveling to the East Coast. That's a quality win, and you beat them by more than one possession. And then you beat, um, like, the Dolphins team. I know they didn't have Tua, and maybe that doesn't matter because maybe Jacoby is better than Tua, <laughs> or at least not a huge drop-off. But still, like, the Dolphins are scrappy. They're tough. They're not going to just let... The Dolphins under Brian Flores are never just going to, like, lay down and be a team that you walk all over, except they, I guess they were for the Bills last week. Most of the time, they're not going to be a team that just lays down and dies. And they and they didn't. They fought to the end. But, uh, yeah, really liking what I'm seeing out of the Raiders so far. And uh, I guess I have a little bit on that later in the show when we get to our MVP section, a little tease, a little spoiler. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I feel good about the Raiders. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not ready to say that they're, they're, they're here and they're here to stay, but they're off to a really good start. And uh, I feel good about the Chargers too. And the Chiefs, the bottom at the AFC West, uh, I mean, hard to count them out when they have some opportunity to pick up some wins here. But hey, what do we say before the season? Like, it, it's hard for the Chiefs to just go at this another year and everything be fine and everything bounce their way. Like, the NFL's unforgiving. And I think the Chiefs are kind of finding that out. Yeah, I don't think it's a huge knock on the Chiefs to lose to a really good Chargers team. But, yeah, we've said it over and over again. It's hard to be as good as they were for as long as they have been. You know, like the Patriots made it look kind of easy at times, and we we got spoiled a little bit by that. And, by the way, how much fun are Chiefs-Chargers games going to be for the next 10 years? Mahomes, Herbert, yes, please. Like, I book it. Every week, put it in prime time, whatever you want to do. I can't wait to see that. Let's get to our LVP and MVP points of the week, BLG, because if you'll allow me to go first with my MVP points, I'm giving it to Derek Carr. I know you just talked about it with the Raiders. Like, 
I'm he is making a believer out of me this year. I said all offseason that Derek Carr has to continue to be aggressive like he was against the Chiefs in 2020. Well, he has been. He's pushing the ball down the field. He's making chunk plays. He's leading the league in passing yardage right now. I I love what I'm seeing from Derek Carr and maybe you know, he and Gruden are finally comfortable with each other. This is the longest John Gruden has ever stayed with one starting quarterback in his entire career. They're next-door neighbors, so maybe they're huddling up when they go leave the facility. I don't know. Whatever they're doing, it's working. Derek Carr, man, he's making a believer out of me. He can sling it, and as long as he's willing to do that and the Raiders are chucking it around, I think they're going to be a problem for people. It is kind of, to me at least, a different Derek Carr that we're seeing here. Like, when I'm usually watching Derek Carr, I'm like, he's probably going to do something wrong or he's going to do something that he really isn't super inspiring. Before the season, I was like, he's the worst quarterback to have in terms of being stuck in the middle. Uh, again, I'll take the L on that so far. Derek Carr stats has the second highest uh, like grade in terms of passing uh, by PFF through two uh, three weeks. That's, that's pretty good. I think mean, he's only behind Tom Brady. So uh, he's really answered the bell so far. He is a big reason why. The Raiders are three and zero, and not only deserving like an MVP point in our little activity here, but in the MVP conversation early on in the season. So uh, good for him to kind of bounce like that, bounce back like that, and have this big start to the season. Uh, I was going to give him one of my MVP points, but since you did, uh, I switched it because I had multiple candidates, <laughs> and I'm going to give my first of two to Matthew Stafford, who I mean, it's kind of just. Right, it's kind of chalk. It's too easy to say. We already talked about the Rams, so we don't need to uh, rehash all of that. But you know, he looks really good. The Rams looked a, a little bit unlocked, or a lot more unlocked, uh, going from Jared Goff obviously to Matthew Stafford, and I think that everyone expected that. It's not like some shocking revelation, but I mean, it's pretty good. And the Rams certainly look like they're almost to me like it's boring because this isn't like a shocking development. It's not necessarily exciting. It's like, yeah, we thought they were going to be better with a better quarterback, and they are. So you're telling me that Matthew Stafford's zero playoff wins are not affecting his ability to be really good in a really good offense with a really good play caller? Because that's what people were saying. I mean, we'll see how he does in the postseason. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a big thing to answer. But you know, I yeah, I I, I you know, look, I said that like, I think people were getting a little bit too carried away on Matthew Stafford. Not that he's going to be bad, but I think you know. Are the Rams this totally unstoppable force? Are they going to go undefeated? I mean, maybe if they're going to keep it up at this rate. But uh, I think we need to see some more. But I think he's off to a really good start. And I'm kind of tired of the Matthew Stafford, like how he got involved or how he that thing came together. I feel like that gets talked about every week. Oh, they're in Mexico or whatever, and they're Cabo. And then like like that gets like rehashed, I feel like, all the time. Like, yeah, I get it. I, I get how they did this. Okay, great. <laughs> We're past this now. It's week four now, yeah. essentially. We know we how it worked. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who is your other MVP this week? I mean, it has to be Justin Tucker. Like, you can't break an NFL record <laughs> to win the game uh and like and not get an mvp point in our very important mvp point conversation i mean he's the best kicker in nfl history stats right he's the most accurate kicker in nfl history i thought drew Brees actually made a really good point on football night in america they they spotted it if you look right when they snap the ball justin tucker does like this little crow hop before he hmm. kicks the ball almost like he's a shortstop throwing the ball to first base and it was basically like he knew he was going to have to get some juice on this thing. So he did the little crow hop. He ran up to it. And he blasted it. And it was awesome. And and I thought it was no good on the TV copy because they were showing the end zone view. So the ball bounces off the crossbar. And it yeah. looks like it just hits the ground. So I was like, oh, that was really right. close. And then I see the ref put his arms up. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Everybody is going nuts. If you see it from the side, you can actually tell that the ball hits the back of the crossbar which is why it ends up bouncing through the uprights it was it was actually closer to being good than it looked on the tv copy but it was still an amazing play and that is like the most lions loss of all time and he had that other big kick against the lions in the past so uh justin tucker owns the lions good for him uh why don't we get into our lvp points stats? you have two this week Yes, I have two. I want to start, and they're kind of both for similar reasons. I want to start with Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears. Mm, I mean, uh -oh. you, you have one job as a head coach, and it is <sighs> to make, put your players in a position to succeed. And I honestly, I don't think he did that. He coached that game, that game plan. It was almost like he wanted Justin Fields to fail. 
And here's what I mean, BLG. 30 dropbacks for Justin Fields. Only four using pre-snap motion. Two using max protection when he was getting murdered back there. Two designed rollouts and two designed quarterback runs. Like, how is that putting Justin Fields in a position to succeed, right? We know pre-snap motion gives quarterbacks answers to what defense they're in. We know Justin Fields can run, so you would think that they would want to get him on the move, both with design runs and rollouts. And we know that play action is also a good key for quarterbacks to help make things easier. And it's like Matt Nagy was just like, nope, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to take the exact same game plan that we had for Andy Dalton and make Justin Fields do it. And that's my big problem. I didn't think he put just Justin Fields in a position to succeed. I'm not going to defend Matt Nagy. I think there is some validity, validity to what you're saying, Stats. But I am sick and tired of everyone just not being able to accept that Justin Fields might not be like the best thing ever that everyone was making him out to be. It's like Justin Fields, oh, he's amazing in the preseason. And then like people were talking about him, like it was canon that the teams who passed on him definitely effed up and made this huge mistake and they should have taken him because he's this amazing player. He goes into the game, he stinks out loud. And sure, he wasn't like set up to succeed in the best way ever. But still, Here's the thing, stats, with that. I still feel like he could have looked better than he did. He didn't have to look that terrible. And uh, again, especially if everyone's talking about how great he is. And what was one of the biggest criticisms that was out there about him and something that I brought up about him in the preseason, holding the ball too long. That's an issue with him. And if he's going to do that behind the Bears' offensive line, that isn't great. Well, guess what? That's going to be an issue, and you're going to take a lot of sacks. So I agree that Matt Nagy did not do everything in his power to necessarily maximize Justin Fields. But I also feel like it is too much of like passing the buck, and a lot of people, especially Draft Twitter, calling you out, who are like, Justin Fields is amazing, he's the best, he's the greatest thing. They can't take the L on him. They cannot do it. So you're the, so even if it is Justin Fields' fault at some point, they're going to be like, well, it's not his fault, it's the coach. Because Draft Twitter hates to take L's on guys that they stand for and guys that they love and want to hype up so much. And what I've been complaining about in the preseason where Justin Fields does something great, I don't see people crediting Matt Nagy at that point. It's Justin Fields is the best. He's amazing. But then he does something bad, and it's all the coach's fault. So I'm just saying, like, Justin Fields is going to be to blame for some of this. And, look, his career isn't over. It's one start. Um, apparently, the Bears might bench him already, which great. Which is insane. Which is insane. Well, I don't think it's the right move in the terms of the Bears need to play him and see what they have in him. But I will say people talk about, like, the – Oh, how is how is Matt Nagy possibly starting Andy Dalton? And again, I'm not trying to defend Matt Nagy because I think Justin Fields should be playing. But if you're seeing Justin Fields struggle in practice every day and the players are seeing it too, like it's not just he's playing Andy Dalton for no reason at all and he's totally insane. Like he's playing him because he's seeing Justin Fields struggle. Now again, you should say you could argue that he should be playing regardless, but like you can't just act like he's starting Andy Dalton for no reason at all for like just very like incredibly arbitrary. Like there's a reason behind it. Is it a great reason? No, like that can be debated, but there is a reason. It's not literally no reason at all. Like Justin Fields is bad. He was bad. I'm not saying he's definitely bad the rest of his career, but that's what I get worked up about stats. I just think the, I don't hate Justin Fields. I really don't. I just hate the discourse around Justin Fields like that. He's this amazing player and he's only being held back and it's not his fault at all. I hate that. I, I'm so frustrated by that because I saw it with Carson Wentz and every one said the same thing. Oh, it's Doug Peter Peterson's fault that Carson Wentz isn't playing well. Well, guess what? Colts offense looks a lot like the Eagles offense has the past couple years. And last time I checked, Doug Peterson isn't coaching for the Colts. Everyone loved Frank Reich after the Eagles got rid of him and said, oh, he was great. He's going to fix Carson Wentz. That hasn't happened so far. Uh, naturally, I made this about the Eagles somehow. But, I was going to say, uh, it I'm, all I'm, goes back to the Eagles. I'm just sick of like head coaches getting all the blame when quarterbacks struggle. Sometimes the quarterbacks started to blame too. All right, well, you're not going to like my next LVP. And I, I feel bad because I don't even think you gave yours yet. Uh, I'm going to give mine to – so I, I wrote this out before the Eagles game. Um, I could switch it, but I'm not. I'm going to stay in Pennsylvania, but I'm not going to go to Philly. I'm going to go out to Pittsburgh stats where I'm going to give my LVP point to – I was originally going to consider Justin Fields, but I'll give him a pass here. And I will give it to, instead, Ben Roethlisberger. Oh. Um, I mean, Big Ben is cooked, man. He's just done. Like, it's it's crazy how like he can't he just can't throw the ball. Like that's, that's a big problem when you have a quarterback who can't do that. I was looking at some of the number stats um, from Sunday's games. 
Uh, and the Najee Harris thing was like, he, he was targeted 19 times on 52 <sighs> routes. It's the most routes run by any running back in a game in the next gen stats era. Uh, like, and you know, they're doing that because big Ben can't throw the ball down the field and they have to do all these short routes and running plays to a running back. Like, Big Ben is cooked. It's a big problem. And I can't believe this. I almost want to give it to the Steelers stats because, like, the Steelers didn't invest in a backup plan. Dwayne Haskins is not a real backup. That's not a real <laughs> contingency plan. I said it back in the offseason when Teddy was, like, on the trade block that, like, they should trade for Teddy because at least if Big Ben sucks, then they have something to pivot to. And not that Teddy is great in the answer and going to get them a Super Bowl, but at least they can kind of, like, be competitive with him. And they don't have that right now. And there's nothing they can turn to. Like, again, maybe they need to trade for Nick Foles. I don't think that solves everything either. But, like, they don't – Big Ben isn't the answer, and they don't have anything they can pivot to. And it's pretty frustrating if you're a Steelers fan. There are different parts of having a franchise quarterback, right? There's one acquiring them, however you do it. Then there's developing them and and maximizing their potential. But then there's the last part of it, and it's the hardest part, I think, and it's the separation. You have to know when it's time to move on. And, I mean, remember how last season ended for the Steelers? Ben on the sidelines, looking up at the sky, hanging out with teammates. There's a reason that that happened. And I don't know, like, if the Steelers forgot about it or what the deal is, but they have clearly hung on too long. He's he's terrible. The, the play at the end of that game, BLG, I could not believe it. The Steelers have the ball. There's three minutes left. It's fourth and 10 at the Cincinnati 11. The ball is snapped and Ben throws it to Najee Harris on the swing pass. Like so quickly, under two seconds, he dumps it off to Najee Harris who immediately gets tackled for a loss of one. It's like, are you even looking down the field? It was stunning to me. Ben Roethlisberger in his prime was get the ball, hold the ball, move around the pocket, extend the play, and make a chunk play down the field. And now it's get the ball and get rid of it and dump it off as fast as possible. Like, you can't succeed in that situation. He wasn't even giving the play a chance to develop. How do the Steelers go through what they did at the end of last year? And, like, not again, how do you not invest in some kind of contingency? There's no contingency plan. Like, okay, you want to bring Big Ben back. He's a legend or whatever in your franchise, which – and it's a whole nother problem that you have when you hold on to players too long. Like, I get it because this guy has done so much for you. Like, it's hard to just kick him to the curb. But, like, sometimes you need to do that, though. If you're, like, you're, you know, you're being, like, a, you're doing what's best for the team, you can't always do what's best for your, like, franchise icon. And I know that's a tough thing to do. Um, and it's easier for me to – it's easier to say than to be done because there's, there's a human element to all this. You have a relationship with this player. It's not easy to just do that. But, like – I mean, come on, man. Like, the Steelers are just sinking a whole season into a player who was clearly cooked because, like, he's done a lot for them in the past. And maybe you kind of live with that to some extent because he has had success there. But it stinks in the meantime. Like, you're just just wasting a whole season. Like, that's not fun. I think it's, you know, there's this whole thing with the Steelers, right? Like, oh, they've only had three head coaches or whatever it is, right? Like, they're patient. They they don't rush to judgment. It's I think that worked against them in this case. Like, I think they take pride in that. They like when people talk about that. Well, in this case, it's hurting you, and it's going to cost you this year because your offense is going to be severely, severely limited. Which brings me, BLG, to my last LVP point of the day, and that goes to Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. (laughs) Like, it is so bad right now for the 49ers on so many levels on offense. Here's how bad it is. This is like the stat of all stats, right? Everybody agrees. You're the stat of all stats. That's true. Everybody agrees that the Jets and Adam Gase were terrible, right? Like, one of the worst offenses we've ever seen, completely inept, just horrible, right? Those Jets averaged 4.7 yards per play. The last two weeks, the 49ers are averaging 4.5 yards per play. So less than the Sam Darnold, Adam Gase Jets. That's how bad it is in San Francisco. Why he continues to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo, it's insane to me. It's insane. You you flirt with every quarterback in the offseason. You try to trade for Stafford. They tried to trade for Dak two years ago. There were rumors about Sam Darnold. They tried to do everything they can to get a quarterback. They, they give up three first-round picks to go get Trey Lance, and now they seem determined to keep him off the field. 
What are you afraid of losing? How many times do we have to watch Jimmy Garoppolo pee his pants as soon as somebody gets a little bit of pressure and we saw it against the Packers, that ridiculous fumble where I don't know what the hell Garoppolo is doing. He tries to blame it on the ref after the game as if the ref made a bad call that it was a fumble. It was backwards, you idiot. Of course it was a fumble. I'm tired of this, B.O.G. And separate from that, that was bad enough that they needed Trey Lance to come in and actually help them score their first touchdown of the game because Jimmy Garoppolo had six tries in the red zone and couldn't do it. Fourth and one for the 49ers. On the Packers' 49-yard line, five minutes to go in the second quarter, I believe it was. And, and Kyle Shanahan punts. He punts the ball on fourth and one when you're down 10 points. No coach this year has cost their team more in expected value than Kyle Shanahan when he should have gone for it on fourth down. He is a giant coward. It is pathetic. It is Stone Age thinking. And until he changes, he's making it harder for the 49ers to win. He gets my LVP point. I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Like, I cannot tolerate this anymore. I'm losing my mind. I agree with you that Kyle Shanahan is overrated, as I've been saying all along. No. Um, uh I think the 49ers stats are in a weird spot in that, like, I, doesn't it feel like they should have traded for someone more established? Like, because it's just, it's a weird spot because they don't want to go to the rookie. They don't trust the rookie because they feel like they have a roster they can win now. But like, okay, but like Jimmy G isn't the best way to maximize that because his ceiling is only so high. And to me, it's crazy. We talked about this in the offseason, but I was looking at it again. And it's hard for me to like wrap my mind around Jimmy G has the fifth biggest cap hit of any player in the NFL this year. And the 49ers, it's not like the Carson Wentz thing where like the Eagles, you know, traded him and took on the biggest dead cap hit in NFL history. 49ers could have traded him or cut him even to save like 25 million or whatever it is. Like that's that's a lot on the books this year to be spending on a player who like, and that's money that isn't just like use it or lose it. That's money you could, that's cap space you could roll over to next year to help get multiple, I mean, $25 million in cap space. Like you can get a couple different starters with that money if you're doing that into next year. So uh, yeah, not the best management by the 49ers there. And it only feels like a matter of time, right? That Chalance gets in, it has to be. Like, what is the breaking point? Do you think it actually, there is one or is he just going to keep riding Jimmy G? He said he thought Jimmy G played great. He said he thought he played great. And I know he threw the touchdown pass with 37 <laughs> seconds left. I realize that. That doesn't mean he played great. Th- this is the problem. Defenses only have to defend one-third of the field with Jimmy Garoppolo. And they all know it now. They don't have to defend deep because he can't throw it deep. And they don't have to defend outside the hash marks because mm-hmm. he can't. he doesn't have the arm strength to get it to the sidelines in a hurry to, to where defenders have to worry about that. So they know. They only got a guard within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage between the hash marks in the middle of the field. That impacts your short passing. That impacts your run game because your safeties are playing flat-footed and they're coming up immediately in the run. It restricts the entire offense. And the 49ers have a roster of good players. George Kittle is good. Debo Samuel is good. Brandon Ayuk is good. Why Kyle Shanahan continues to restrict himself makes no sense to me and it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo well he doesn't make a lot of big plays but he's really good at protecting the football he's not he turns the ball over constantly so even if Trey Lance would come in and make some rookie mistakes which by the way he will without question you're still getting those mistakes now with Jimmy Garoppolo with no hope of the other side of the equation the big spectacular plays I don't know what the hell they're seeing and I think Jimmy Garoppolo is trying to get the locker room on his side. He gave an interview with KMBR where he said, I know everyone in the locker room is behind me. I think he knows that a quarterback switch is obviously could be happening, and he's trying to tell Kyle Shanahan there's going to be a revolt in the locker room if you do it. Give me a quick answer here. So that's the question I'm about to ask. Which week does Trey Lance overtake him as the starter? <laughs> I don't think he's going to. Not that he should. I think Kyle's going to stick with Jimmy because they're going to win enough games to where Kyle Shanahan's going to be like, well, we're winning, so I guess it's good. So I don't. He does talk like that. Yes, he does. I know. That was a totally accurate impression. I don't think he's sticking with Jimmy Garoppolo the whole way. Unless the 49ers lose and are eliminated from playoff contention, then they'll switch. But I don't think that's going to happen. So I think it's Jimmy's show. All right, Stats. Well, disappointing weeks for, I guess, both of us then. 
Yes, and the 49ers play the Seahawks next week, so we'll see how that goes. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe, follow the SB Nation NFL show. If you like the shows, you like what you hear, and you want us to do bigger and better and cooler stuff, please take five seconds, leave a rating and a review. It really helps us get discovered by more people. It's a small thing that you can do that helps us in a really, really big way. And as you've seen, if you leave a review, we promise we will read it on the show. Good luck next week to your Eagles, BLG. Good luck to my 49ers. Enjoy your Tuesday, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.